All right. Anybody seen the, the show Breaking Bad? Kind of old now, about eight years old. Uh, Breaking Bad is one of my favorite uh, TV series. And uh, I'm going to tell you a little bit about it. Spoiler alert, but the thing's like eight years old now, so <laughs> if you haven't seen it, it's on you. Sorry. Um, Breaking Bad centers on the story of Walter White, a bored high school chemistry teacher who discovers that he has stage three lung cancer. Desperate to provide for his family, Walter decides to start manufacturing methamphetamine to create a nest egg. And so uh, his goal is to raise something like $750,000 just to provide for his family, to care for them when he's gone. But, gone, but as he gets into making meth, he starts to feel really powerful. He starts to get addicted, and he can't stop. And so he's, he's, his life is getting more and more twisted, more and more uh, shattered and disintegrating as, as he's making meth. And, 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 and all the while, he's saying, I'm doing it for my family. I'm doing it for my family. And the show, uh, I think the writers, what they're trying to get us to ask is, what does it mean to be bad? What does it mean to be bad? And at the very end of the show, there's this very uh, uh, critical scene where uh, Walter is talking to his wife, Skylar. And, you know, his, he's going to, uh, again, spoiler alert, he's going to die, and it's all going to fall apart. But he looks at Skylar, and he says, all the things I did, I need, I need you to understand. And then she says, if, if I have to hear one more time that you did this for the family. And then he interrupts her. And he says, I did it for me. I liked it. I was good at it. And when I did it, I felt alive. Now, none of us want to think that we're anything like Walter White, you know, right? But, but here's what the Bible knows about us, that, that the core of what's wrong with us, the thing that really makes us bad, is that our hearts are curved in on themselves. At the core of us, there's an I did it for me. I do it for me. I'm in it for me. It's all about me. And it's not just us. It's not just us that have this problem. I think that we live in a culture, almost, of I did it for me. Almost a culture of I did it for me. And there's a couple psychologists, Gene uh, Twang and Keith uh, Campbell, who wrote a book called The Narcissism Epidemic. And they explore the rise of narcissism in our culture. And they said it's not just, you know, that narcissism affects, you know, the self-centered people among us. They, they said it's become widespread, and they note that in printed literature, words like, I, di I did it for me, and I'm, it's all about me, are becoming more and more common, and words about community are becoming less and less common. They note that parents buy t-shirts for their children that say, chick magnet, if you have one of those, I'm sorry, uh, or I am the princess, and they say it's, it's almost like there's this cultural, uh, you know, air that we're all breathing, where we're all asking the question, how am I feeling? How am I doing? How are people treating me? Am I successful? Am, am I failing? Am I being treated fairly? We live very much in a culture of self-promotion and self-absorption. But it's not just our culture. In the ancient culture that Paul is writing to in this letter of Colossians, uh, this is a, a Roman, a church in a Roman province, and the Roman culture was very much an I did it for me culture. It was very much a culture that was, that was self-absorbed and all about self-promotion. In fact, they had words for this. Uh, they called it the Via Romana. It's going to come up on the screen. But the, the, the Via Romana, it's, uh, it's, it's literally, that's the way of, of the Roman, the way of the Roman, or they also call, called it the cursus honorum, or the, the, the course of honor. 
And what this was is this was almost like a ladder that everybody in the Roman society was trying to walk up and, and climb up. They were, it was all about getting honor for yourself, promoting yourself, achieving and getting higher and higher um, on that social ladder. And so at the very bottom, there were the slaves. Nobody wanted to be them. Right? But this was most of the Roman Empire. Most of the population were slaves. Uh, above them, there were freedmen. There was quite a bit of freedmen, but they were still pretty low on the totem pole. Uh, you, if you were a citizen, uh, you became a, part of a smaller group in that culture. And then all the way up, up to equestrians and uh, de, uh, decorians and senators. But it was this culture where you were competing for honor, where it was all about your self-promotion and getting more and more glory. The way of the Roman, the course of honor. But in our, in our text this morning, I think that Paul is going to show us a different way. He's going to show his culture and our culture a different way to live. If the Roman way was all about self-promotion, the, the way that Paul is going to talk about is, is, you might call it the way of Jesus or the way of the cross. And if the Roman way and the American way is all about doing it for me, the thing that marks Paul's life is, are the words for you. In fact, all the way through this section, this is a section where uh, Paul is talking about his own ministry and, and the way he's living and what's motivating him. And all the way through this section is the phrase, for you. Eight times he says, I'm doing it for the sake of the church or for your sake or for you or I want to know that I see I'm struggling for you. Eight times we see that Paul's life is a life revolving around others. He says, I did it not for me, I did it for you. And this is a very subversive way to live in his culture. It's very subversive in our culture. And I want to look at it this morning. So we're going to see how Paul lived, and then we're going to step out and apply it to our own lives. And I want you to see three things that Paul did for them. So we go through the passage. We're going to see three things that Paul did for the Colossian church. Number one, he says, I suffer for you. Second of all, he says, I serve for you. And then finally, he's going to say that I struggle for you. It's all about you for Paul. And so first, he says, I want you to know that I suffer for you. In verse 24, he says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. And so Paul begins by saying, I, I suffer for you. I suffer for the sake of Christ and his body. Now, Paul wrote this letter from prison. This is one of Paul's prison epistles, is what they're called, prison letters. Paul wrote several letters from a Roman prison. And uh, the reason why Paul was in prison was not because he did anything wrong or he was a criminal or he broke the law. He was in prison for preaching the gospel. Uh, he was uh, for uh, going out and telling other people about Jesus. And, and in order to, because he was doing this, you know, uh, the Romans didn't like Christian, Christianity. And so if you were a Christian or you were promoting or propagating Christianity, oftentimes you were beaten or even thrown in prison. So Paul is sitting in a Roman prison, not because he's done anything wrong. He's in prison for the sake of the church. Literally, he is suffering for, suffering for them. He's in prison for them. But it's not only the fact that he's in prison. Paul's whole life was almost uh, characterized by suffering for the sake of other people. Uh, so in one point, in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty five, Paul says this, Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Uh, a couple days ago, we went to uh, Silomar Creek, and my little three-year-old was pelting me with stones. But this is not what Paul's talking about. He, in the ancient world, this was a form of torture, where they would uh, literally 
uh, stone people to death, throwing stones at them. So he says, I was beaten with rods. I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day on the open sea. And you think you've had a bad week. <laughs> Paul's life was, was, was characterized by suffering. But he says, I didn't suffer for my own sake. He said, all of these things I undergo for you. I'm suffering for you. Now notice Paul says not only that he suffered for them, but he says, I rejoice in my sufferings for you. Now what is this about? Was Paul a masochist? Why in the world would Paul rejoice in his sufferings in prison? I mean, why is he just looking for trouble? Does he like pain? Uh, no, Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings. Why? Here's why. He says, um, because he says, in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. Somehow Paul sees his own suffering for them as, as participating in the same sufferings that Christ underwent. And it's not that, that he says what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. It's not like Christ, uh, his redemptive suffering was lacking or it wasn't good enough to save us. Paul just, he's, he's identifying with the sufferings of Christ. Because just as Christ suffered for us, Paul there is suffering for other people. At the center of Christianity is, is a man who suffers for the sake of others. And for, for Christians, the, the, the most sublime and beautiful act in the history of the world was a man suffering on a cross for other people. And Paul says, when I suffer for you, somehow I am, I'm entering into that suffering. I view my suffering as, as sublime and beautiful because I'm, I'm doing what Jesus did. And therefore, I rejoice in those sufferings. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a Lutheran German pastor. And uh, he, was, uh, he was hanged in 1945 for joining a resistance against Hitler. And when, when Bonhoeffer was in prison, he was a Christian, and he was doing this because of his Christian faith. And when he was in prison, prison people observed that he was, he was almost joyful in there. And he was, he, was, he was caring for the other inmates and he was in prayer. He would sing every day. And when, it time came, when the time came for him to be hanged on the gallows, he, he, he's at the bottom of the steps, he knelt down and he prayed and he walked up courageously and he died with dignity. Why? Because Bonhoeffer says there's two sorts of suffering. There's the ordinary suffering that we all undergo. We can't avoid it, right? It's gonna come into your life no matter what. But then he says there's Christian suffering. And what is Christian suffering? It is voluntarily bearing another's burden for the sake of Jesus. And Paul says, I rejoice in my suffering. I rejoice in my imprisonment because when I'm doing that, I am, I'm doing something sublime. I'm entering into the sufferings of Jesus. I'm doing it for you. Now imagine if we, if we viewed our suffering that way. Uh, me and Lucas in the office, we oftentimes will come into the office in the morning completely exhausted. Why? Because our children have kept us up all night. And uh, usually what we do when we go into the office is we will complain together. <laughs> how, many, how many hours did you get tonight? Oh, I only got three. Well, I only got two. <laughs> and we complain about it. But, but what if we rejoiced when we suffered for the sake of other people? Paul had this mindset of, for you, I'm doing it for you. And because of that, he, he rejoiced in even his pain. So he says, I suffer for you. Notice he also says, not only that do I suffer for you, he says, I 
serve for you. So uh, let's look at the grammar. Let's look at the sentence. He says, I'm doing this for the sake of Christ's body, verse 24. Uh, that is the church. And then verse 25, he says, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. Now, uh, look at the grammar here. It's almost like when Paul, Paul has these long sentences and he'll, he'll hit a word and then it will remind him of something and then he'll kind of riff off that word. And so he says, I'm doing it for the sake of the church. And then he says, of which, of what, of, of the church, um, of which, of the church, I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. Paul says, here's what I want you to know. I, I, I'm doing this because I have been made a minister of the church according to the stewardship that's from God. Now, what's Paul saying here? Well, in our language, when we hear the word minister, that's almost a, a, a term of status. It's all, almost an honorable term. Uh, some of you call me a minister. Uh, most of you just call me Brent. Uh, and I would like a little bit more respect, please. Um, <laughs> because the term minister, I'm just kidding. I don't, I don't need that. I don't really even want that. But, uh, you know, the word minister, we almost use it as an official uh, a term of honor, that, of respect, that we, uh, that we call ministers. One time I was in Little Rock and I met a couple at a restaurant and uh, we were talking to them and they said, oh, we, your kids, they're so sweet and cute. And I said, yeah, yeah, they are most of the time. And, and we were talking and, and then she said, well, what do you do? And I said, well, I'm, I'm a pastor. And she said, her eyes got really big. And she said, honey, oh, honey, he's a minister. And, and suddenly I went up about 20 notches in her, in her estimation. And I felt really good about myself because I was a minister. But the word minister in, the, in, this, in the, the Greek, it simply meant servant. That's what it meant. Diakonos, that's the word. Paul says, I was made a servant. And he says, according to the stewardship from God. The word stewardship could also be called custodianship. Suddenly, that doesn't sound so honorable, does it? <laughs> Paul says, I was made a servant according to the custodianship of God. And he says, I was given this for you. In other words, Paul is saying, here's what I do for you. I'm out there and I'm serving for you. And the way Paul understands this is that God gave him a ministry. God gave him a service. God gave him a calling. What did God give Paul? Well, he goes on and he says, uh, it was given to me uh, for you to make the word of God fully known Verse 26, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So, so God gave Paul something. He gave him a calling. He gave Paul a message that he didn't give anybody else. And he says it's a mystery. And the mystery is what, what had been ages, would have been hidden for millennia and ages. It was hidden in the Old Testament. Nobody knew about it, but God revealed it to me. God gave this revelation to me. And what was the revelation? It was that, that God was for not only the Jewish people, but for everybody. Jesus Christ is not only for the Jews, but for every single human being. Christ in you, the hope of glory, that's the mystery. And God gave this uniquely to Paul and nobody else. But notice Paul says, why, why did God give this to me? It's not so that I could feel good about myself and get honor from everybody, so that I could walk around, you know, saying I'm spiritual discernment man, get out of my way, I have the anointing, you know. Um, that was weird, sorry. That won't happen next second service. 
He, he, God didn't give this to him so that he might be served by everybody and get honor from everybody and say, oh, I had that revelation and look at me, nobody else in all of human history. God says, no, God gave this to me in verse 25 for who? Not for me, but for you. In other words, Paul saw this amazing gift that God gave him, not, not so that for, for his own benefit, but for the sake of serving the Colossian church and, the, and Laodicean church and all the other churches around the Mediterranean rim. It was given to me for you. I'm a servant. I'm a custodian. My life is to serve you. Now, none of us is like Paul in, in that we've been given this unique revelation, but all of us are like Paul in that God has given us something. God has given you a calling. God has given you a gift, maybe multiple gifts. God has given you experience and education and, and, and all the things that God has given you in your life that are uniquely yours, he's, he's given them to you so that you might use them, that you might leverage them for the sake of other people. God said, it, Paul says, it was God gave this to me for you. What has God given to you? What gifts and experience and abilities has God given to you? God wants you to use those things to serve others. This past week in the office, we took the Myers-Briggs uh, personality test, which always depresses me, no, no, uh, no matter what, always depresses me. And so uh, we all took our, our personalities, and I found that the personality that I got, I did not like. And so what did I do? I took the test again. And I took it again and again until I got a different personality that I liked a little bit better. And so to the, to the, uh, to the office meeting, uh, I took both personalities. And I made my best argument that I was this one, the one that I wanted, the one that is, is so much better. But as I read both of the personalities, every single one of the staff said, Brent, no, you're that. Ugh, I don't want to be that, though. And somebody among the staff said, Brent, God, listen, God gave you that personality for a reason. He gave you that personality on pur purpose. INFP, that's what I am. INTP, I'm sorry. Um, God gave you your personality on purpose. And God gave you your gifts on purpose. And what God has given to you is for other people. It was given to me for you. We are servants, and we're servants just like Jesus was a servant uh, because this is what Jesus did, isn't it? Remember Jesus the night before he was crucified, the, night, the, the Passover meal where he took all of his disciples and he put them in the, brought them to the upper room and they're there eating this meal together and Jesus Christ, the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords, the Alpha and the Omega, the bread of life, Jesus Christ, you had all of this took off his, his outer garment, wrapped a towel around his waist, got down on his knees, and washed the disciples' feet. And he said this, he said, God did not send me here to be served, but to serve and to give my life for you. He said, all that I am is for you. And he's setting for us a model that we are to, to leverage what God has given us for the sake of others. Serving, ministering, to build up the body of Christ. So Paul says, I suffer for you. And then he also says, I serve for you. And then finally he goes on and he says, I struggle for you. So in verse uh, 28 he goes on and he says, him we proclaim, 
Jesus Christ we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And then he says in verse 29, for this I toil, struggling with all of the energy that he powerfully works within me. In verse, uh, chapter two, verse one, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those in Laodicea and for all those who've not seen me face to face. So finally, Paul says, what else do I do for you? I, I suffer for you, I serve for you, but finally, I want you to see that I struggle for you. And the word struggle there is essentially the word labor. He says, I'm laboring for you. Or uh, he even, in one translation, uses the word toil. I toil for you. And Paul the Apostle, was in, in, he had an incredibly strong work ethic. He was an incredibly driven man, Paul the Apostle was. In fact, there was uh, at one point where Paul, he says, I'm the least of all the, the saints. I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle. But he says, I worked harder than all of them. Peter, he was lazy. John, he was over there on the island of Patmos, you know. What was he doing? I don't know. But he says, I labored harder than all of them. And the Apostle Paul, he was the greatest evangelist of human history. He, uh, he essentially evangelized the entire known Roman world at the time. Incredibly driven. Incredibly driven. At one point, he says, I, I labored night and day for you. Paul was also a, church, a, a tent maker. So uh, he was a bivocational minister, meaning that he, he ministered part-time in the church. He also used skills to build tents. And so he was building tents and ministering to the church. Paul the apostle was incredibly driven, like many of you are. Like many of you are. Many of you are, are driven, dedicated, hardworking people. You work really hard, and many of you are very successful, and, and you try hard at it. And you, you know, you're out there, uh, you know, homeschooling children. You're out there, you know, running a business. Or you're out there teaching students. And you're working incredibly hard. But Paul says, I want you to know why I do this. He says, I labor so hard, and I struggle, and I toil. Why? Not to uh, bring me into a higher income bracket. Not to achieve things and become very successful. He says, I want you to know, verse, chapter 2, verse 1, I want you to know how great a toil I have for you, for you, and for those who are at Laodicea. He's saying, I'm working for who? For you. Who are you working for? Why do you labor? Why, do you, why are you driven? What's at the, at the bottom of, of all of your energy? Paul says, I'm working. What was Paul doing? Well, he says in verse 28, he says, I'm busy proclaiming. You know, he was studying the Bible and he's laboring in the word of God and he's proclaiming it to people all the way around the Roman world. Uh, what else is he doing? He says, I'm warning people. He's, I'm admonishing people. And this is hard work because this is, you've, he's confronting people and telling them where they're wrong. That's super hard to do. It takes courage to do that. But Paul's working hard at it. And he says, I'm teaching everyone in all wisdom. He says, I'm working and I'm working and I'm doing it for you. All of his work is motivated for them. And Tim Keller, on one of his books on work, he says this, if the point of our work is to exalt and promote ourselves, our aggressiveness will become abuse, our drive will become burnout, our self-sufficiency will become self-loathing. If all of your work is only for you, it's gonna lead to burnout. It's gonna eat you alive. But Paul's work was for others. He wanted to see this church mature. He wanted to see them grow. 
you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a minister, and one of the things I do is I, is I preach to you all, but I, to, to be really honest and vulnerable with you guys, sometimes I'm not doing this for you, I'm doing this for me. You know, so I, I want to say that my motives are always pure, and I'm always, you know, just doing it completely for you to build you up, but sometimes I'm doing this so that I could feel successful. I'm doing this so that I could, I could feel like I'm, I'm good at something, that I'm achieving something. I, I, a lot of times, I'm doing it for me. But Paul says, here's the goal, is that you, you work and you use your gifts and you, and you struggle and you toil, and you do it not just for you, but you do it for others. He says, I struggle for you. So Paul says, I'm, giving, I'm showing you a different way of life here. I'm showing you something completely opposite of the Via Romana or the Roman world or the Roman, the, the Roman way. The way of the Roman is achievement, self-promotion, self-absorption. The way of Jesus is for others. He says, I suffer for you. And I serve what God has given me. I'm using it for you. And I'm struggling and I'm laboring and I'm toiling for you. And what about you? And what about me? Are we following in this way of life? Here's what I want you to see about it. Notice that the two words that Paul begins this section with joy, and he ends the section with rejoicing. Here's the irony of when you go the way of Jesus. When you give yourself away and you pour yourself out, it actually makes you more joyful. It actually fills your life up. And the way of self-promotion and, and working in to, to, you know, get glory for you actually makes you feel really empty. Paul says, go this way, go this way. How can you give yourself away? So let me end by asking that question. How could we give ourselves away? Well, as I was uh, studying this week, I was thinking of a couple in our church, and there's actually multiple couples in our church that do foster care, for example, and uh, this particular couple, they, they lost a child, and so they had room in their, they had room in their family. And they, they said, you know, we've got room, we've got something to give. And so they brought a foster child into their home. And honestly, it was, it was, some of it was suffering, and a lot of it was struggle. But you see, they're going the way of Jesus. And it's bringing them incredible joy. I, I think about people that serve in our Sunday school. You know, serving in Sunday school is an incredible joy. The kids, especially my kids, are so good, aren't they? Um, <laughs> actually, mine are probably the worst. But it does bring you joy to, to serve in Sunday school. But there are days when it's toil and it's struggle. But Paul says, give yourself away. What do you have? What do you have to give? What, what do you have to offer? Don't just use that for you, but leverage it for somebody else. Leverage it for the church to see the church built up and other people grow in their faith. There are many of you that serve behind the, the you know, the, um, what am I saying here? Under, behind the scenes. You know, making coffee. Uh, you know, serving communion. Right? And, it's, and sometimes, that can, sometimes that's great and exciting, but sometimes it, it gets monotonous. But Paul says, here is the way of Jesus. It's the way of giving yourself away. And it brings incredible joy, pouring yourself out for others. Now, why should we do this? And I'm almost done. Why should we do this? Well, number one, because this is what Jesus did for you. The most sublime, the most beautiful act in the history of the world is a man suffering and giving himself for other people. 
And so the most sublime and beautiful thing we can do is follow in his footsteps. Do this because Jesus did this for you. As Lucas said last week, Jesus Christ is the blueprint. And what does the blueprint look like? It looks like a life being poured out for other people. And we're supposed to live into that ourselves. We were created to live into the image of God, into the blueprint. We are giving ourselves away for others. But but, but we don't just do this on our own. Jesus is not just a blueprint. What Paul says in this passage is here is the mystery. Christ in us, the hope of glory. And Paul says in verse 29, for this I toil and I struggle with all the energy that he powerfully works in me. We don't just do this to follow Jesus. Jesus Christ, if you're a Christian, and here's the message of the gospel, Jesus Christ lives in you, enabling you to live a life like his. Bishop William Temple, who's one of my favorite theologians, he said, it's no use giving me a life like, a play like Shakespeare's and telling me to write plays like that. Shakespeare could do it, but I can't. And it's no use giving me a life like Jesus and telling me to live a life like his. Jesus could do it, but I can't. But, he said, if the genius of Shakespeare could come and live in me, then I could, live play, I could write plays like his. And if the spirit of Jesus could come and live in me, then I could live a life like his. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Power within you to live a life for others. What do you have? How do you view your own suffering? How can you struggle and serve and use what God has given you for others? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that Uh, God, you give us this little passage where Paul uh, presents to us a different way. It's not the the via Romana or the American dream or uh, achieving higher levels of success and glory for us, but it is a way where being a servant actually has glory. And living our lives for others uh, is, is how we follow the most beautiful act in all of human history. And God, I pray that you give us creativity. Help us, Lord, to see the unique ways that you have uh, designed us to serve and love and sacrifice ourselves for the sake of others. God, help us to be a church that models this way. Help us, God, to be countercultural in a world that is so narcissistic. Help us to do this in Jesus' name. Amen.